This is Cross Hope with Randy Snyder. Cross Hope is broadcast daily and shares five minutes of hope and encouragement from the Word of God. Our companion website is www.crosshope.org. Now with today's uplifting message, here's Randy. Well, rarely do I use imaginary stories to convey a point. I began this message with an imaginary story. Picture a black limousine pulling up to your church and a rich man and woman perhaps getting out and people just fawning all over them. Here, please sit up here on the front and asking people of a lower economic status to sit in the back. You'd say, how dare the people in that church do that? Well, that was what was happening in the early church. James writes about it in chapter 2. Some of you would say, well, who do you think you are to show favoritism like that? To show partiality and say, just because this rich guy comes in and you tell people to go to the back and him to sit up front. And what I'm telling you in an imaginary story happens to be what happened in reality in terms of the early church, where Christians were actually showing favoritism to people who had the nice jewelry. They had the designer labels of the day and their clothing, and people said, come on down, you sit up here, and if you're poor, you sit back there. Ironically, in churches in America today, the most prized seats are the back rows. So you people, you're the most fortunate back there that have got the back row. And today we're going to study a passage that, I'll be honest with you, I cannot remember anybody ever hearing a message from this topic, from James 2, where we're preaching through the book of James, about the sin, and it is a sin, by the way, of showing favoritism. You may not think showing favoritism is a sin. You may not like it when you see it, especially if you're a victim of it in the wrong way. But the Lord says this, it's a sin that deserves to be judged. And we become a lawbreaker because we practice the sin of showing favoritism. Well, without any further delay, let's read it together. You just follow along as I read. It goes like this, My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there, or you sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law, which is the king of all laws found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin. If you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. I want you to listen to this verse. I'll just quote it to you from Leviticus 19.15. It says, don't show favoritism to somebody just because they're poor. And don't show favoritism to somebody just because they're rich. Judge fairly. That was the Levitical law in the Old Testament, Leviticus 19.15. You don't show partiality to somebody and say, hey, he's poor, let's cut him a deal here. She's rich, let's give her special consideration. Neither. The Bible says you judge fairly, impartially. 
Well, may I tell you what's unusual about this passage of Scripture? After I gave this message, I had a number of people say this, I've never heard a message preached from that passage in James 2. Well, I had never heard a message preached from James 2. Maybe it will speak to you about something that you've never thought about before, of showing favoritism in the body of Christ because of money, because of status. Part 2 tomorrow on Crossope. That's crossope.org. Well, yesterday in Crossope, we began a message from James 2 on the subject of favoritism in the church. You may have thought that favoritism didn't exist in the early church or doesn't exist now. We're wrong on both counts because it does exist today, if we're honest, and it did exist in the early church. I found out something interesting in the Greek language. I'm not a Greek expert, but I found out that the word that was used for showing favor was the idea of lifting up your face in honor of someone with money. And the opposite of that, of course, would be to look down on someone because of their lack of money. That's what we talk about all this week on Crossope. Let's continue with part two today. When I ministered in Columbus, Ohio, I met a businessman who was very successful. He was not a member of the church, but somehow at some social gathering, I met him at a banquet or something, and he was telling me his story. He said, I grew up in a lower middle class family in Ohio. And he said, then as I began my business in my 20s, it took me 10 years to build my business. And he said, now I'm quite wealthy. And I went by his home later and saw that he lived in a home that I would say would easily sell for a million dollars. It was a beautiful home. And here's what he told me. He said, when I came into all this money, two things happened. I had cousins call me. I never knew were my cousins. People call him and say, hey, I'm your cousin, Frank. I'm your cousin, Bobby. Uh, I could use some help with a business idea, a business venture. And then he said, I had other people in the family, he said. And he said, this was the hard part for me. That never spoke to me again once they found out I had money. And then he leaned over at this banquet. He said, so if you ever come into a lot of money, don't tell anybody. And I said, I don't stay up nights worrying about it. So it's not exactly high on my list of probabilities. But he was experiencing discrimination in reverse, both ways, because of his money. I want to begin by looking at verse 1, because there's a thought in here that I've never heard anyone talk about. Can we bring up verse 1 of the text? My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. I want to talk about the word believers. I oftentimes will refer to somebody not as a Christian, but as a believer. Something wrong with that? No. Is there something wrong with calling them a Christian? Not at all. But more often than not, I think in my conversational experience, I will say, he's a believer, she's a believer. Because that has such dramatic implication to me to say a man or a woman is a believer. Let me tell you what it means to say you're a believer. You believe everything that Jesus Christ claims for himself. When Jesus said in the Gospel of John, I am the way, the truth, and the life, a believer says, I believe that. When Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, he that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live, you happen to say, I believe that. And let me tell you when you will believe that verse more than any other time, when you say goodbye to somebody you love. And you will decide maybe at that moment that more than any other time, I do believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life because intuitively you know inside your heart 
that the only way you're going to see that parent again, the only way you're going to see that loved one again, that brother or sister, that child again, is because of Jesus Christ. I hope you know that. Because one grave is empty, I have hope. And that's the grave of Jesus Christ. Because one grave is empty, I have hope of seeing loved ones again, and and so do you. Well, we live in a culture where people talk about discrimination, and we're, we're used to associating that word with race discrimination. What about status or money discrimination? Have you ever felt discriminated against because you didn't have the right amount of money in the checking account? I think you know where I'm going with that. We'll continue tomorrow on CrossOak. That's CrossOak.org. Now then, I want to look at a couple of verses together here, verse 2 and 3 and uh, 4, if we could read those together. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. I read that, I can't believe this, but one of the commentaries said people could actually rent jewelry to wear for public gatherings. I didn't know you could do that back then. And a poor man with shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention, verse 3, to the man wearing the fine clothes and say, Here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Here's the problem with judging people according to wealth or poverty. We're not only discriminating, but James says we become people with evil thoughts. I don't like that description. The Lord looks at my discrimination of people based on their income or based on things like that as a sin to be judged, not as a personality trait, not as a quirk of my personality. It's a sin to be judged. And he said, have you not discriminated and you have evil thoughts in your mind? I don't know if you've ever thought of that, that that's exactly what we're doing when we judge people because of that. There's a reason why people are told not to make these judgments. We tend to equate wealth with talent. We tend to equate poverty with no talent. We even make the mistake in churches, well, he's wealthy, he must be spiritual. That's not necessarily true. You can be poor and spiritual, and you can be rich and spiritual. You can be a pagan poor person, you can be a pagan rich person. It has to do with the heart. But sometimes money can be a blinding influence in a person's life of any strata, any class. If you can write a check for anything you need, and we've all met people like that. Anything they need, they just write a check. The temptation is to say, why do I need God? Why do I need the Lord in my life? I just write a check for anything I need. God doesn't look at our wealth. The Bible says this, God doesn't look on the outward appearance. He looks on the heart. We judge always by how our people are dressed. What kind of car does he drive? How many square feet do they have in their house? Do they have four bedrooms or just three? You know, and we, and we constantly judge people on the basis of what they own or what they have, and the Lord looks all through that, beyond it, and says, is this man a believer? Rich or poor? Is this woman a believer and the one who is the way, the truth, and the life? Forget about the money. Are they a believer in Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God? Because ultimately, that is all that matters in eternity. You see, one day when you stand before the Lord, You and I won't stand with a a ledger with an accountant, a CPA next to us, and here's our balance statement. Here's all the taxes we paid, Lord, and here's all we own and so forth. None of that. The only thing that will matter ultimately is that we were a believer 
in Jesus Christ and accepted him as the Lord of our lives. That's what is my entrance exam into heaven, is Jesus Christ. I don't know what your status is in life. It really doesn't matter. I do know that the thing that matters is your relationship to God the Father through the Son. Let me say that again. The only thing that matters in eternity is your relationship to the Father through the Son. How do I know that? The epistle of 1 John says this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. Life is in the Son. He who has the Son of God has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Well, we'll continue this message from James 2 tomorrow. Interestingly enough, I mentioned it earlier this week, many people have never heard this passage of Scripture read, let alone preached from. We're doing so all this week on favoritism in the early church. Our website is crossover.org. That's crossover.org. Well, today is part four of a message on favoritism from the book of James, the second chapter. We use an illustration about a Dr. Robert Coles, who was a psychiatrist, a child psychiatrist, who taught at Harvard University. Robert Coles, the psychiatrist I quoted a few weeks ago, was the one, remember, who was told by his supervisor when he started counseling, don't talk to anyone about God, don't talk about religion. And she said, and by the way, don't talk about the big three-letter word, don't talk about sin with anybody. You just talk about their problems. But Robert Coles told a story about something that he noticed in Rio de Janeiro in South America. If you've ever been to Southern California, the Los Angeles area, you've undoubtedly noticed this, that generally speaking, the poorer people live in the valleys. But the higher you go up in the mountains around Southern California, Santa Monica Mountains and near Malibu and places like that, the higher you go in altitude, the more expensive the homes the more wealthier the people. But in Rio de Janeiro, it's just the opposite. Because they don't have the infrastructure to pump water up the mountains, the poorer people live in the mountains, and the richer you are, you live down in the lower areas, in Copacabana and Ipanema. Remember that song by Carlos Jobim, the girl from Ipanema? Ipanema is one of the wealthy areas of Rio. And so Robert Coles would make this statement, the higher you go the poorer the people are. And so he said this, I really found this interesting. The poorest people have the best view. The poorest people have the best view. And of course, you know where he went with that. He made some spiritual application that not always, but sometimes he says it's true that the poorest people have the best view of spiritual things. Poorest people have the best view sometimes about life and death and about the fragility of life. They have an eye for the Lord that sometimes you will see in a poor person that you won't see in the wealthy. He gives this powerful example of a woman that he met in the mountains. She lived in a house with no plumbing, no electric, no heat, no water, no medical care. He said death was a constant companion for those people in this particular village. He said the stench in this village was so bad. He said, my son and I tried hard to stifle the nausea and the dizziness we felt just because of the smells of the village where they were. Everyone was terribly poor. He said he started to talk to this woman about her poverty and about her spirituality, and he quotes her, this poor woman living on the mountain, who says this to Dr. Coles, can you imagine Jesus Christ living in one of those buildings in Coca Cabana or Impanima where the rich of Rio live? 
Can you imagine Jesus boasting that he owns many cars and boats? Can you imagine Jesus Christ talking about all the money he has in the bank and his big house on the ocean south of Rio besides his apartment here? I clean for these people. I clean for these people. I know how much they own. There's only one piece of property they don't own, heaven. There's only one piece of property they don't own, heaven. They can't buy it, even with the millions and millions of cruzeros, Brazil's monetary unit. You hear them talking about all the time. And then this woman said this to Robert Coles, God came to us as a poor man, and that must mean a lot. I tell my children they would have been better off if they had been born luckier, was the right phrase she used, born to a Copacabana businessman. But that's one life. There are two lives we have to think about, this life on earth and the other life to come. And then Robert Coles, the psychiatrist, says this, I doubt the most sophisticated theologian could put the matter much better. Well, we conclude this message tomorrow on Cross Oak from James 2 on the subject of favoritism in the early church. Our website is crossoak.org. But I want to use it today as I close because for me it captures all of the message today about not depending upon riches, not making judgmental statements about money in people's lives, not making wealth the criteria for where people sit in your life, where you allow people to approach you in your life. And we all do that. It was a prayer that was found on the body of a Confederate soldier during the Civil War. No name is attached to it been passed down since the 1860s. But it's a prayer that speaks to me more than any other written prayer I've ever read in my life. I want you to listen to it. I asked for strength that I might achieve. The Lord made me weak that I might obey. I asked for health that I might do great things. The Lord gave me grace that I might do better things. I asked for money that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power, that I might have the praise of men, but I was given weakness, that I might feel the need for God. I asked for all things, that I might enjoy life, but I was given life, that I might enjoy all things. I received nothing that I asked for, all that I hoped for. My prayer was answered. Listen to that last line again. I received nothing that I asked for, all that I hoped for. My prayer was answered. Folks, heaven isn't based on what you own. And I don't automatically assume that because a man or woman has a lot of things that, you know, they're living right. They could be living very wrong. Any more than I assume that if a poor person is poor, they're living wrong or living right. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with what's in the heart, a man's heart or a woman's heart. Look at your heart today. Do a little heart self-examination. Am I a person who has evil thoughts? Do I make judgments about people spiritually based on their income, based on their dress, based on the jewelry they wear on their, their arms or necks or wherever? We're not to make those judgments because James just says it plain and simple. Do not show favoritism. And Then in that last verse, if I could bring that up, verse 9. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. That's an interesting statement. If we show favoritism, we sin, bottom line. 
And all it takes for me to be a sinner and for you to be a sinner is the breaking of one law. The analogy that D.L. Moody used to use was this. If a man's hanging over a cliff holding onto a chain of 10 links, how many links in the chain need to break before he falls to his death? One. It's all that has to happen. He doesn't have to have three links or five links break, only one link. And so it is, if I violate the law according to James in one area, I'm a lawbreaker. In the next passage that we'll study next week, he mentions the sin of murder and the sin of adultery and mentions other sins and said, if we commit one sin, we're guilty of violating the entire law. That's why we need Jesus. You need Jesus not to make you a better person. You need Jesus because of forgiveness. You don't need Jesus in your life just so you'll be a better father and husband. You need Christ in your life so you can be forgiven. So do I. So does the person sitting next to you. That's the reason we need him. He's the only hope of forgiveness. He's the only hope of life in a dying world. He's the only hope in poverty. He's the only hope in wealth because he is hope. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray to him right now. Well, this series in the book of James continues next week on Crossope. If you've never looked at a portion of our website known as Visual Stories, may I encourage you to do it this week? That's crossope.org. One word, crossope.org. You've been listening to Crosshope with Randy Snyder. For more information about this ministry or to re-listen to any message heard on this broadcast, go to our website at crosshope.org. Be sure to join us at this same time each weekday or listen at www.crosshope.org. Crosshope is listener-supported and is produced by Crosshope Ministries, Incorporated.